Are you ready to get the support you need for your author career and life? Join international indie bestseller Angela J. Ford and fantasy author Stephanie Wabwa as they talk all things writing, publishing, and the real life of an indie author. Welcome to the Indie Author Lifestyle Show. Living your best indie life starts here. Welcome to the Indie Author Lifestyle Show. We were having a little bit of a chat before we hit record, and both Stephanie and I are cracking up, but um, (laughs) we thought we'd hit record and just share with you guys. I think during a time such as this, it's kind of nice to have some things to take your mind off of what's going on in the world and just kind of focus again on business and writing and just things that make you laugh a little bit. You know, not that, not that we're taken lightly what's happening, but just knowing that, you know, it's good to put that aside and have some fun. So today, Stephanie and I are talking about villains, and I'm really excited about this topic. Uh, But before we get into that, Stephanie, how has your week been? Hey, Angela. Yes. So we don't want to make light of all things that are going on. Um, As we all know, right now it is March of 2020, and we are dealing with coronavirus, corona, what are they calling it? COVID-19. Yeah. Official title. Official title, right? So we're not making light of it. We know it's a very serious thing. Um, many countries have been completely on lockdown. Um, those of us in the United States, we are not there, I'm assuming, yet. <laughs> However, because it is such a serious time, we do want to talk about some lighthearted things, you know, some fun things. Um, for all of my introverts, this is the perfect excuse you've been waiting for to stay home and to read your books and to binge your Netflix and not have to deal with anyone. So there we go. We've been given a gift. <laughs> um, but no, in, in, all, in all things, books and things like that. So working on Seraphim Resistance Book 2, I'm really excited with where it's going. So this story is showing a bit more about the cherubims, which is fun because in Seraphim Falling, we were dealing with the Seraphim, right? And everything that like was going on with them, it was an initial um, introduction to the world and you got, but you got more of an, uh, of a taste of the Seraphim, the, those angels, whereas in this book, um, we are exposed to the cherubim, which is just a rank below the seraphim there. They have interesting innate powers. They're very unique, but they're also very shifty characters. And so, you know, they they have their own motives. They are tricksters. They like to just be funny. Um, so it's been really fun uh, writing it right now, my MC just got attacked by a cherubim. Um, it's been really interesting just writing that scene because she got her tail kicked. And so, um, it's pretty funny. I, I, I finished the scene and I was like, Oh, you poor thing. You survived. It's okay. You know, your bruises will heal. (laughs) So I've been having really just a lot of fun writing this story. A lot of different things are happening that I did not plan for. It is staying according to my outline. Y'all know I'm a plotter and I, I've got to stick to my outline, but, but I am like allowing for room for just different things to happen. And that's really, really fun. And with everyone and everything being on lockdown, um, I will definitely be able to get more words in. So <laughs> there's that. Um, but I am looking forward to really just writing 
you know, just writing just all the good and fun details with it. And then with the mercenary and the Aryan empire, it's funny because I made a mood board for it and everybody loved the mood board. They're able to see like what the character looks like and kind of like her powers and her affinities and all of that. And so I was, there was a request made for me to do that for the Seraphim resistance world, which it's interesting that that request came to me because depending on the angelic rank their powers differ so <laughs> i'm like that's gonna be a lot of fun so i'm working on that too like i know that's not writing but it's still part of the process it's still part of what we do so i have been going through pinterest and just like gathering visual inspo right now i'm working on um I'm going to create a mood board for the powers of the seraphim and then I'll go on to the cherubim and then to the archims, angels, bless their little hearts. They do not have powers. So <laughs> they don't get, <laughs> they don't get anything. Um, they have brute strength. That's all they've got. <laughs> That's all they have working for them. They are the lowest ranking angels, but the other three, they do, they do have powers for those that are like, well, what are they? Just a quick little tidbit. Seraphim, they have innate powers that deal with more elemental style things, but also, but not just like nature-esque elemental style things, but also like, you know, mind manipulations, that kind of thing. With your cherubims their powers are tied to art so that's really fun and then with your archims they don't have innate powers they however they can have objects that wield power so necklaces totems you know like just you know whether it's a sword anything like that whatever the specific object that they have that the power is attached to and then they wield that and they have power angels again bless their hearts they lucked out they've got nothing um so <laughs> That's what's been going on. It's it's a lot, but I'm just having fun developing all of these different worlds and like writing them. I also started plotting. Uh, no, I just started like dropping ideas for um, Tainted Scarlet, which comes out in August, and that's been really fun. That's about Faye. Um, so Seely versus Unseely. We know that's a lot of fun when the dark Faye go against the light Faye. So I'm working on that too. I'm jumping on the Faye boat can't I can't help it I love the face so that's been really interesting working that out as well so I have as you can hear just a ton of writing things in my boat but what about you Angela what do you have well I can tell that you have a lot of fun stuff going on because you're all smiles like you're so excited just talking about it and that's really exciting and I like that you have that that joy in writing, the things to look forward to, that's super fun. And that's when you know that you're, you're on the right track because it, it's fun and exciting. You just can't wait. And I feel like I've gotten to that part and I'm writing Faded, which is Night of the Dark Fae book two. And I really did a really different kind of take on Fae, which has been interesting. I wasn't sure how people would react to it, but so far so good. It's been really interesting. People are like, that's, not what I thought the book was going to be. And I'm really enjoying it. So um, I'm having a lot of fun writing the second book. I'm really excited. I've gotten to the point where I'm past the halfway point. I'm past like kind of the slow, like midpoint. Um, just like act two of books sometimes, just writing it, it can be really hard. And that's always the part where I get super bored with it. So that part, I'm past that part. I'm into all the fun stuff. A lot of cool things are happening. A lot of fun things are happening. And I just feel like the characters are just, they've just come alive and they're doing insane things that 
that I didn't know that they would say and do. And so I'm absolutely loving it. It's a lot of fun. And then I'm also gearing up for the release of my um, kind of like adult fairy tale romance serial. Mm. Uh, we've talked about this in I think the previous episode uh, with Jordan Rivet, but um that I'm working on that. I saw like a um, mock-up of the cover and oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I cannot wait. I'm like checking email to see if like she sent me something else, even though it's far too soon for that. But I'm like, I just want to see the final. It's going to be amazing. And I'm going to freak out about it. Anyway, uh, more details on that. Uh, but writing has just been going really well. And with that, I think we can hop into our topic for today. Before we get started talking on today's topic, here's a word about our Indie Author Lifestyle Workshops. Workshops are designed for career authors who want in-depth training on certain topics to help you take your career to the next level. Join us each month to dig into writing, publishing, and book marketing strategies for only $27.99. Plus, get access to the exclusive community. Find out our topic of the month by going to IndieAuthorLifestyle.com forward slash workshops. Now, back to our episode. And today's topic is all about villains. And I'm really excited because I, I think villains are something that's very fun and fascinating to write. And I think the villains have changed from epic fantasy, just like, just from like years ago, writing villains. It seemed to be that villains were just, they were bad, just to be mm. bad. And so when you read books like the Chronicles of Narnia, or even Lord of the Rings, you have the villain, but you don't really know what the villains, like you understand their motives, and their motives are to destroy the world, take it over, rule, that sort of thing, but the question that is not answered is why? What happened to you to make you want to drive you so hard towards this goal? And I think that's something that people want to know now. And I've been seeing it more and more. Um, I was at the bookstore the other week and I was looking through books and there were all these um, Disney little short stories that are from the perspective of the villain because villains are so popular right now. And um, there's even the the Disney game Villainous, which me and my husband are absolutely obsessed with playing. Like we spent a good eight hours one day just playing it just because it's so fun playing from the villain's perspective. And I'll put a link in the show notes in case y'all want to check that out because it's a fun game. Um, and if you're stuck <laughs> like at home, it's, it's really great. <laughs> Stephanie's cracking up, but it's okay. <laughs> it's so much fun. I might go play after we get done recording <laughs> as a matter of fact, because they have the extensions and you get more villains. And it's just really interesting just looking at their perspectives and why they're doing things that way. And then also the different things that um, they deal with, because just like a hero, a villain also deals with the setbacks and the, the conflicts that comes their way. Yeah. And, you know, can they rely on their little team of evil minions to get the job done or, you know, will things fall apart anyway? So that's an intro to villains. Stephanie, over to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree because when you have a villain who they're evil for the sake of first of all the fact like when it's pointed out that they are the villain there we we already know that something's wrong right because at the end of the day as the readers we should be the ones who decide 
they are evil simply because we've been shown the actions that they've taken that is morally corrupt, you know? And it's so true what you said about, you know, in the past, villains, it was this thing of like, okay, good, because they want everything to go well, bad, because they just want to control and corrupt and, you know, take charge of everything. But it was it was just so direct and we were just kind of basically told this is who you need to cheer for and this is who you need to hate whereas now villains there's kind of like a gray area with the villains because the thing is now where villains are more humanized because we're understanding why they became the way they are and the thing is we're starting to be able to relate to them more because we understand wait a minute i can understand why someone would make this decision right it's no longer oh they're evil and they just want to like kill everybody it's no they believe that you know like if you take thanos for example from the marvel universe he believed okay we have a population crisis. There's too many bodies that are living. And you know what? There's too many mouths to feed. If we kill off half of you, then there's, a, there's plenty for people to eat, for, pe- for people to grow. And then you can multiply again once we have more resources. And so when you have someone bring that kind of a logical rationing, like, look, I get it. It's hard, but I'm willing to make that decision kill off half of you so that the other half of you can survive then it's like wait that's a morally corrupt decision because you're murdering half of the population but on the other hand the decision makes sense right and so i think that when you're dealing with villains and when you're wanting to craft villains this notion of oh well we'll just make them bad you know that's going down the wrong path because you really want to know who they are instead instead of like coming at them as a villain you come at them the same way you do with your protagonist who are you what happened and why are you making the decisions that you make right you humanize them you give them those good emotions you give them um basically things that would make them relatable to readers and things that are rational and they make sense and you recognize oh that's the heart of a villain you're not evil just for the sake of evil you're you're really only evil because you're making decisions that is morally corrupt to others. But in your mind, if you don't make these choices, then others will suffer. And you're also not going to get what you really desire, right? And so I think, you know, it's interesting. Like I'm reading a story right now and I won't say the name, so (laughs) it won't be a spoiler. However, if you read the book, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And so um, you find out, so there is this, legendary king right and for for years upon years upon years people worship this the the legend of this king and how this king did everything to slay this beast and make sure that the magic doesn't take control and all of this stuff right and then you're getting towards the end of the book and you, you uncover that actually this king couldn't have multiple magics but their fiance wife i think by the, the time the story ended the the wife could and because the king was jealous that she was able to have multiple magics but he could not he literally went around spreading stories that if people had multiple magics it would kill them and so because they believed his hysteria he convinced her well he forced her into stealing away their magic so that everybody only had one magic and then um 
no one would be able to have access to just only one magic and he would have all the control. And so you recognize he did that simply because, you know, he didn't, first of all, he didn't want to be the only one that wasn't able to manipulate multiple magics. And so in doing that, in his brain, he was like, well, for nobody else to feel the sense of like unworthiness and for nobody else to feel like, oh, okay, well, I'm not good enough. If I can have multiple magics, nobody's going to have multiple magics. And so we're going to strip everybody of their magic. And so at first it's kind of like, that's a terrible thing. But on the other hand, it's like, oh, well, I mean, hey, if everybody's on the same leveling field well it kind of makes sense (laughs) it kind of makes sense and so it's incredibly corrupt because you're essentially murdering the essence of these people but on the other hand it's like oh but now we're all equal so maybe it's okay (laughs) and so here herein lies the heart of a true villain right like they're not evil just for the sake of evil they're evil because there's this innate thing that occurred and they believe that they have a solution it's just that their solution harms instead of helps yeah and i completely agree and i think it's really cool to pull like the examples from popular books and then also popular tv shows and movies as well because it's really interesting to see how villains are played out and i think the one of my favorite tv shows that did a really good job showing behind the scenes of villains and how they got to be the way they are and why is the the tv show once upon a time Mm. and the first few seasons were just I really enjoyed it. It was fantastic. But I loved seeing the journey of the evil queen and from Snow White. And it's just very interesting because you think, you know, first of all, she's this really jealous person that wants to be the, the fairest one in the land. But then you hear her backstory about how she really loved this guy. And then Snow White came along and just ruined that for her. The guy ends up dead. And then she has to deal with this life that she never wanted. She just wanted to run away and be with this guy. And so it, it really just, there are a lot of things that happened that really compounded upon her, upon her misery and made her really just hate Snow White and want revenge. But when you watch the TV show, you understand why the evil queen is acting the way she is. And you really want her to get some sort of revenge or peace or just something to help her deal with an awful situation that where something that was out of her control happened. Um, because you know Snow White was too young to realize what was really happening, and so it, it's just really interesting digging into the the whys behind a villain and just seeing this is why they have become this evil person. And I think it's fascinating. It's really fun to play with because with villains, they always come to a point where they can make a choice. They can choose to go down the the right the morally right path they can do that or they can choose to go down their dark path and be evil it always comes to a point where they make that choice and then they they make that decision and then they're gone and i think that's really cool when you're writing um that you can really build up a villain and kind of like show their background and how they like made this decision to like take the dark path and go to the dark side um and just do that. And there's another book that series that I really like where the villain is absolutely phenomenal, at least in book one, um, Logan Michel, her series. And it is, oh gosh, please help me. Fairy Festival series. The Festival of Trial and Embers. Shout out. (laughs) Shameless plug. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, both Stephanie and I have read that. And the, the book is it's fantastic. So um, 
it's so it has really deep like Celtic roots, but like it's just like, one of my number one like Fay um, our Celtic uh, stories. But it it is just so well done, and the villain is so well done that while I was reading it, I just found myself like even though he was so evil, I just found myself rooting for him. I'm like, ooh, ooh, you can win, you can win. <laughs> and, but <laughs> you know, you've done a villain so well when like the readers kind of want to root for them but then you're also with the main character like oh yeah yeah no 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 you need to be free you need to do your thing (laughs) yeah no for sure and so for our listeners I would I would say you know a takeaway as far as like when you're crafting your own villains and thinking okay I get it I've got to give them the background I've got to humanize them in a way how do I do it? Well, first of all, I, you know, I read this advice a while ago and it's really helped me. You don't approach your antagonist as an antagonist. You approach them as, as if they are a protagonist, they just make bad decisions. You know, they just make bad decisions. And so you build them from the ground up as you would any character and you give them just as much, uh, just as much attention as you would any character. You know, you give them family. You give them parents, you give them siblings, or may, you know, or maybe you don't, um, but you give them a guardian of sorts, someone that watched them, um, or you give them someone that they trusted, someone that they love very, very much. Because oftentimes what you'll see in these stories is it, it has to be something that is deeply personal for it to matter, right? If someone loses money, I mean, unless they're super greedy, that doesn't matter, right? But when someone was very close to their mother and that mother was taken away from them from a government or they were murdered or whatever the case may be, then that sets that person on the path of vengeance or the path of, you know, wanting to like take their life and things like that. And so you humanize them, you give them family, you give them a normal life. Like what did they used to do? And in that normal life, what happened to them? Like for spoiler alert, if you've never read the Mortal Instruments series, plug your ears, skip the next 15 seconds. I don't know. But um, um, so if you've read the Mortal Instruments series, you know that there are several main characters. Some of them, uh, a few of them are Clary Frey, Clarissa Frey, um, Jace, forget the name now and the brother which Sebastian there you go Sebastian and so in the beginning you don't realize that Sebastian and Clary are siblings but as as it grows you realize they are and you also realize that Sebastian and Jace are connected which is Clary's love interest and when Jace and Sebastian were raised they were raised by their brutal father Valentine and that but the thing is Valentine so he raised one one of them basically has the blood of angels the other one has the blood of demons and the one with the blood of angels he was harsh and brutal with him but he he had some leeway with him he didn't get as many beatings or anything like that Sebastian on the other hand got beaten all the time any little mistake he did he was beaten he was he was abused he you know he didn't get to eat he was locked away he you know he had he had by the time he's he's in his late teenage years he has welts on his back from how many beatings that how many brutal beatings that he got and so you begin to understand how a person's psyche develops it's kind of like a human being when you go through so much abuse and so much torture and you know so much conditioning from a child and then into your teenage years by the time you're an adult the decisions you make, it's not even because you're trying to be evil or you're trying to devastate everybody's world. You you honestly think that that's how the way the that's how the way the world works. You know that's the w- way the world works. There we go. And so 
you know, when crafting these villains, you think about that, like, how were they raised? You know, what happened to them in their upbringing and, you know, who conditioned them? What were they conditioned to think? conditioned to believe, conditioned to act, you know, were they conditioned to be violent or were they taught to be, you know, meek and quiet and a scholar and things like that. And so you want to humanize them and you come at them as with the same energy and the same love and the same care that you would give your protagonist. And as you develop them, you, you think of the circumstances that they will face and you recognize, okay, what decision would they make here? that in their brain is logical but obviously as the readers you know continue to read and learn about this character they realize these are some bad decisions like this person had the opportunity to make a good decision here to do good and once again they chose to go the wrong way they chose to make a bad decision whether it's out of selfishness whether it's because you know they want to control everything to a fault whether it's because they truly think that they're right when really they are wrong and they are hurting so many others around them and that's another thing too is their decisions have to negatively impact everybody around them and so they think they're doing good but the more good they think they're doing air quotes the more they hurt those that are around them yep and that is so true and right on for like especially the advice about crafting your villain and making sure that they are human and have a background and they have something that you know the reader can feel sorry for them or at least sympathetic understand where they're coming from and see like this is why they are the way they are and I think it's really fun writing villains uh, my favorite villain that I wrote is Sahor and in book one, I realized, um, and this is from my Four World series, but book one, I did not, I had some scenes from his perspective, but there was nothing that really dug into him as a character and why he behaved the way he behaved. And there's a little bit, but, you know, not enough to make you care and really kind of want to root for him until you get to later books and then you start understanding, okay, this is this is why he is this way. This is what's happening to him or what happened to him. And then seeing like this massive defeat, like this is why he is going about things this way instead of, you know, joining forces with these people over here. Just like the the different ways to bring them in. It's, it's interesting. And it doesn't have to be a whole book from the villain's perspective. I think I did probably a handful of chapters from the villain's perspective, but they were all just like, key important moments in the the villains from the villains perspective and in the history that happened to make them the way they are and so it doesn't have to be this huge long thing if you don't want it to be uh, but it just has to be enough to have the reader understand where they're coming from and so I, I think that's really sound advice for creating a villain and making it realistic yeah and I want to know what are your thoughts so when it comes to because you've had to create so many different villains but also so many different heroes you know and so when it comes to juxtaposing the two you have your good versus your bad um heroes make bad decisions too and they hurt people too if you have a hero who has no fault you're writing a mary sue i mean you know all you know it's all good. We have Mary Sue's out there. <laughs> Star Wars. However, um, no shade, no tea. But um, a real hero, they make mistakes. You know, they think they know, but then they make a bad decision and it 
it affects the people that are around them, especially the people that they love, but yet they're able to redeem themselves and still come out a hero. And so when you're writing your stories, what is like that one thing that, you know, you infuse in the story to really differentiate between good and evil with your characters? Oh, that's a great question. And I would say that it would just be the decisions made moving forward. And so as an example, there's one character, Legon the Swift. Um, he shows it. up. Sorry. <laughs> he's like, he's one of my favorite characters. Yeah, he's a reader favorite. Well, so he made a mistake. And this happened before the, the book even began. But he had this whole relationship with these people called the green people and he lived with them he was a part of them and then things went down and um he got freaked out and he ran away and he left and he went and hid in the mountains for about 10 years didn't say a word and when people asked him like hey like you knew what happened 10 years ago why didn't you come forward why didn't you tell anyone he was just like no one would have believed me but it was the <laughs> His little cop out <laughs> no one believes me ah, it's scary um but one of the things that one of the ways i try to redeem characters from their mistakes and from their bad decisions is the way they move forward and the decisions they make from that point onward really affect how um how they're seen through the eyes of the reader and the rest of the book like if the realize what they did and they own up to it. Not that League on the Swift was really good at owning up to it. He wasn't. He was terrible at it. He was just kind of like, eh, it happened. Um, <laughs> but, but his actions from then on were trying to right this mistake and really right this wrong that, I mean, it wasn't 100% on his shoulders either, but just moving forward, he was like, okay, I'm going to go here. I'm going to talk to this person. I'm going to join this team. I'm going to go into the heart of evil, and I'm going to try to stop it. And it doesn't matter if I die or I lose my life. I'm going to do everything in my power to make this right. And so that was his whole goal and just what happened to him to really try to make him more of a hero and more of a uh, somewhat relatable character he's just really hard to get to know because he's just cold um <laughs> but and then i think in a really fun series that i'm working on legend of the nameless one citrine and tor Lear, they are both characters that are very gray mm -hmm. and i try to highlight their mistakes and then the things they do moving forward to try to fix them like citrine is very headstrong and she's very bullheaded and she likes to do what she likes to do and she doesn't like a lot of input about it, but sometimes she makes the wrong choices. And I like to have that moment where after she makes the wrong choice, she realizes what happens and she kind of has like a pause where she realizes, oh, look what I did. And if I had done this or if I had listened to what this person said, then this would not have happened. And now I have to kind of try to make up for letting this happen because I was too bullheaded. And so... I think it's that whole like acknowledging that they made a mistake and then trying to make things right that makes that turns a what could be a villain into a hero. I think if the the characters approach it differently and said, Hey, I made this mistake, whoops, let me just keep on doing my thing and didn't learn from it, I think at that point, or if they just continue down a darker path, I think at that point then the the readers would step back and feel more alienated from them and say, okay, well, you're not likable because you you don't care that this happened. And so I think that's that's what I kind of do to try to make um 
show the difference between heroes and villains. And what about you? Yeah, so for me, I honestly make it, it's also about their actions and their decisions as well. Um, My villains, interestingly enough, for example, in the Seraphim Resistance series, so the main villain is who they call the Raven. Um, His name is Axatazraya. And that's also a name change, very biblical thing to do, but hey. (laughs) So his name is Axatazraya. And without giving away too much, um, he was once... He was once a redeemed seraph, right? Loved, beautiful, cared for. And he had something that he really desired. And he was told no. And this was the one thing that he wanted. And he was told no to the point where this no is attached to a creed. If you break it, you're breaking basically the biggest law and you're damned for eternity, right? And so interestingly enough my villain he's born out of just beauty and perfection and you start off you know because his his story will be told this one i'm excited to tell it because it's a it, it you really understand everything once you understand him but you know it's not you start off loving him and he has this decision to make you're told no will you accept no or will you do everything in your power to get it regardless? And that's where he goes downhill and takes so many angels with him and destroys so many just because he refuses to accept no. And so I think that's really how I build my dark characters, so to speak, is there's this type of envy or there's this one thing that they really want and they're not able to have. And because they can't have it, now they're laser focused on having it and they will do whatever it takes to have. Because in their brains, why can't they have it if everybody else can have what they want? Right. And so, you know, never mind the lives that will that will be lost because of what they're willing to do to get it. Never mind how much bloodshed there will be to achieve this one thing. As long as they can get this one thing, that's all they care about. And interestingly enough, so a villain that I absolutely love. And every time I watch the the movies, every time I read the books, I'm like, yo, you are awesome. It is President Snow from the Hunger Games series. When I tell you, I love him as much as I hate him, right? Which is how I know now that's a good villain because this man, he comes from the perspective of it's for the greater good. We are doing all of this for the greater good. I am doing you a service by putting you in districts. I am doing you a service by telling you how much you can eat, how much you can have, what you can do, where you can stay, where you can go. I am doing you a service because I have instituted all of this for you. We have control. We have peace, right? And so... I feel like with Snow, you know, every time I read the books or every time I watch the movies, it's like I understand him more because, you know, there can be so much focus on Katniss and like I get it, you know, like they need, there needs to be a rebellion and, you know, Pondam needs to be saved. But I often like to focus on President Snow and just how calculating he is and how methodical he is. You know, at, at some point they talk about with the games, it's moves and counter moves. 
uh, Katniss makes a move, he makes a move. Katniss makes a move, he makes a move. And it's this back and forth game of who will ultimately win here and who will have ultimate control here and whose beliefs will stand here. It's not even of, oh, I just want to control these people for the sake of controlling them. It's, I believe that we can only maintain order with this structure. And if you come in with your democracy and you blow it up, you will ruin the lives of these people. I am trying to just institute something here for them to go well. And in doing that, you have districts that are starving. You have districts that get killed off. Oops, spoiler alert. (laughs) You have districts that get killed off because they're rebelling. They want a different way of life. And he's like, no, no, no. This way of life has been instituted for a very long time and we are not changing (laughs) because I believe that this is what is best for you as a whole to protect population and society as a whole. I am doing you a service. And I think that is also a key element to villains is I am doing you a service by doing this, by getting rid of people's, you know, freedom to to speak their minds or their freedom to make their own choices and decisions or their freedoms to live how they choose. I am doing you a favor because I am putting something before you to help you, you know, although I'm the only one that benefits from it, (laughs) it is still for you, right? And so I think that is also like a huge thing when it comes to villains is they truly believe that they are serving the greater good through their own selfish gains. Yeah, I think that's absolutely significant. And I'm really glad you brought that up. And it's interesting that the two villains that you brought up, Thanos and President Snow, they both had that whole like, this is for the greater good vibe. And I think that's really important because it can be tempting to create a villain that just has their internal goals at heart, but it's also really interesting and it makes them more of a monster when they absolutely believe that what they are doing is the best for the entire world. You know, it's like Hitler, like he firmly believed what he was doing was going to make a better world. And so it, it's just, just thinking about it like that and approaching your villains like that. And yeah, I think that is all that I have. I would say that for those of you who are really interested in like crafting amazing villains to, uh, we'll include the links to the show notes on our recommended um, books and shows and movies to watch and read uh, in order to do that. But then just like focus on making them realistic and putting the humanity in them and then thinking about that one thing that they they really believe in. And I kind of like to link the battle between a villain and a hero to a game of chess. And I know this is a little old school, but I grew up playing chess and I learned how to play and it's really fun. But, you know, one person makes a move and then the next person makes a move. And like you keep going and, you know, then it becomes pretty clear who's winning and who's losing. And then there can be those little secret moves that happen where it just kind of throws you because you weren't paying attention to all the the the, um, the pieces on the board where yeah. you realize that, oh my gosh, I just massively lost or I'm about to lose some like a really important piece and I need to make this counter move in order to protect it. And I don't want to make that move because it's going to be hard and I'm going to lose a lot, but I have to do that in order to ultimately win the game so I love that kind of whole like pitting them against each other always think of it like chess yeah no I agree um 
really that's the heart of a villain. It's like, who are they thinking they're serving, you know, and they're really a villain when they're not just serving themselves, right? Like, I think it's the cheap way out when they do what they do only to serve themselves. I want more money or, you know, I want my family back or I want to control the kingdom. I want to be the king, whatever the case may be, you know, I think that's a cheap way to go because that only affects them, but they're truly a villain when it affects so many others. And it affects so many others in a negative way. Again, with the, with the Hitler example, you know, we hear the name and we cringe, but at the same time, you know, he was a hero to many, even though he was a monster to so many more. Right. And so these are just little elements. It's like, okay, who worships these people? Who do they have good influence over? Who do they have bad influence over? What caused them? What was that pivotal moment? in their lives when you think of Hitler and and you know even people that aren't necessarily like villains but people who just did like wrote dark things or created dark things you know you think of Edgar Allan Poe phenomenal writer but when you think about his life very dark which is why his writings are so very dark right he just had pivotal moments mom died wife died sisters died (laughs) you know and you know he just went through so much stuff and so it's like that with your villains it's like what happened to them you know what did they lose and now they're trying to gain it through other means right and so I just um there's just so much that can go into uh crafting your villains um if you need more advice more tips we encourage you to join the indie author lifestyle community you know where we can talk more about this I'm sure there may or may not be a workshop that will come about this later on down the road shameless plug (laughs) so you know, villains are awesome. They are also incredibly important to your story. If your hero has no one to fight, then you don't have a story, right? There's no conflict. There's no tension. There's no story. So your villains are just as important. Um, but our biggest takeaway for you is humanize them, give them a reason, uh, give them motive that is that goes beyond themselves, and you will be on your way to crafting a stellar villain. All right, we'll come across to the show notes and share your number one takeaway on villains. And we'll see you inside the community. The journey to becoming a full-time author on your own terms doesn't have to be lonely or hard. We have an awesome community where we chat daily, write together, and motivate each other. To be part of this vibrant community of indie authors living their best bookish life on their own terms, go to IndieAuthorLifestyle.com forward slash inner circle for more information. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love to hear more from you. Leaving a rating or review helps us to create more great content like this. Be sure to rate this episode and subscribe to the show. Thanks for listening to the Indie Author Lifestyle Show. See you inside the community.